You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Back to the second episode of the Noble and Roo Show by Ball is Life. Today we are wrapping up bubble talk and then bringing in the Eastern Conference preview. Um, blessed and really excited to have 14-year NBA vet and two-time member of the Ball is Life podcast network, uh, Karan Butler. How are we doing today? Man, I'm doing great. How about yourself? We're, we're, we're shaking, man. It's 85 and sunny, and it's not storming. Just getting off the lakes in Minnesota, life is good. Yeah, man, I'm chilling. Just another sunny day out in L.A., so it's all good. We're good. Come on, man. L.A. is where it's at, baby. It's hot man. over here in the valley, though. Is it? That's, that's your spot? It's cooking out here, man. <laughs> man, I'm in the middle yeah. of the city. It's beautiful. I call it cabo Fornia. Every day it feels yeah. like Cabo. Every day. Nice breeze, everything. No doubt. So just wrapping up the final seeding game between the Blazers and Memphis, did you catch that whole game? Oh, absolutely. I've been watching pretty much every game since live action came back. And, you know, shout out to Dame Lillard and how he's been able to respond after that, you know, the Clippers loss. I thought he did a remarkable job. And I think that Pat Beverly, like, really set the stage, man. Like, when you think about him just talking, I think he got them all riled up to play against the Lakers. Yes, like, sir. Dame's a killer, man. You, you can't – there's certain guys that if you wake them up, they're going to get you, and I think Dame is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, he's just – he's one of those dudes that, like, literally cut from a different cloth when you talk about his performance and his dominance on the game. He's a guy that, you know, doesn't just score points, but he scores all-purpose points. And seeing the way that he's been out there able to perform at this level when everything matters, uh, it's, it's been remarkable. So looking back on this bubble, I mean, it's pretty successful in my eyes, and it couldn't have gone any better um, in my eyes personally. But, I mean, everybody's got a different opinion on it. Um, first of all, with this game, do you think they should start having a play-in game every year between, like, the eight and nine seats to get into the final spot of the playoffs? It's, it's intriguing, but I also think that, you know, this, this was a teaser for, you know, the possible tournament. You know, when you think about what the tournament format would look like, and they just gave you like a sample of just, you know, uh, two teams uh, duking it out for that that last position on a respective conference, and everybody was tuned in because the competition is like, you know, it's, it's slimmer. It's only three games, and one one team already have the advancement of one game in their pocket. And I think that everybody, no matter what the time frame was, whether you was on the East Coast, West Coast, Wherever you was at, you was tuned in on some platform watching that game. So you're going to see a lot more of that being played within the future, I believe. Yeah, I think um, it kind of takes the idea of – I don't know if y'all watch baseball at all, but in baseball they have wild card games, right? And so it's a winner-take-all. And this was a little different because Memphis would have to win two games. But for Portland, it's a winner-take-all. So the stakes are high and, you know, a playoff entries on the line. So, like, 
obviously we saw the competition was there um, and the intrigue was there. Like it was interesting to watch. Like it was a big game. So I'm a fan of it. I think they should definitely try to replicate this. No doubt. Looking back on the bubble, Karan, I mean, what are your takes from it? I mean, what was what went well and what could have been a little better in your eyes? Well, if anything? That, look, uh, beggars can't be choosers. And we've all been like beggars of live entertainment. So that's one. But what I would say what went extremely well is zero test positive of COVID. I think that they invented a wheel that can be, you know, duplicated and recycled uh, throughout other, you know, organizations. We talk about uh, professional sports. Um, and also, I, I just think that, you know, from the optics of it, outside of the fans, you have to think about it. It's only 19, 20,000 people that can literally be inside of the arena. So whether it's the season ticket holders or the loyal fans that always get those tickets or consume those tickets, everybody else in the world is watching the game from outside the arena. So the visual has been amazing in my eyes. I've been watching that and watching Mark Jackson and all those guys when you talk about the calling of the game, being up close and seeing it. Uh, it still feels, you know, the same way it always felt. Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. I mean, like I was one of the people, honestly, that I didn't think it was going to change. Because at the end of the day, the product is all about the competition on the floor, right? And so the guys on the floor are still NBA players, and they still have a purpose to play. Like, they're not just kind of – I mean, we saw teams resting guys to, to gear up for the playoffs, but people were in there competing, you know? Like, we saw top-notch competition. And honestly, I kind of – I almost like it a little better without the fans because I feel like it gives guys a chance to – like, guys that we might not otherwise have seen kind of hoop, like maybe Gary Trent Jr. or, you know – I'm forgetting names off the top, but there were guys that had big games that I think otherwise would not have played like that. TJ mm. Warren, TJ Warren, right? Like you got oh, guys showing out. Baller. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You got guys showing out because it's just straight hooping. It's like it's like if you go to 24-hour fitness, except it's an NBA game. You know what I mean? So I, I love that personally. That's hot, man. That's a that's a hot take right there. You're throwing it out. So Karan, it's fun. It's, it's fun basketball, man. No, I I said at the beginning, I thought there'd be some people that thrive and there'd be some people that would decline a little bit because of the fans. But then talking to players a little bit, they're like, no, nah, no chance that's really happening. I mean, Karan, from your perspective, I mean, do you think that played a role in these guys playing good? Um, and do you think players like LeBron didn't play as good or maybe up to his standards because there weren't any fans? Well, you know, I think that LeBron – you know, plays the way he played because he's always looking at the, the second season, and that's the playoffs. So he always been uh, extremely smart on how he goes about pacing himself. Uh, other guys as well, because they're seasoned. I think with T.J. Warren, uh, I, I don't know what happened or what got over him, but you think about, you know, practicing social distancing and all those things. Somebody clearly had access to a gym. <laughs> and was playing because that brother didn't miss a beat. But when I, no. when I think about some of the guys, like, I, I feel bad for, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Lakers that's been, you know, absent from the playoffs for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, like, the late Laker faithfuls don't get an opportunity to experience, oh, snap, we're number one in the Western Conference. We're back in the playoffs, that atmosphere. But, you know, uh, Milwaukee Bucks as well. But so many other teams are being robbed of that experience as well because, Let's face it, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. People's lives are still being lost in the middle of all of this, and we're able to have some sense of, you know, normal. 
And I think that, you know, that's the perspective we got to have. And, you know, take it, do not take it for granted. And um, I think the NBA has done a remarkable job of giving us some live entertainment. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thankful that we have the game. And just to kind of add on to what you were saying of what's unfortunate, I mean, we, you know, we're potentially deprived of seeing a Lakers-Clippers playoff series, right, which would have been crazy. I mean, L.A. Road would have been going nuts. Uh, personally, Karan, I'm from Houston. I'm a Rockets fan. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we got the Thunder with now they got – hard. Now, that, now the Rockets have Harden, Westbrook, Jeff Green. They'd be going into Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? Chris Paul would be going into Houston. Like, there's some storylines that won't come to fruition because the fans won't be there. So, kind of unfortunate. But I am – I am still happy that we have a, a product to watch, you know. So, trust me, they might they might be arguing in the bubble in the hallway or something. We, <laughs> might, get, we might get some footage of that. You know what I mean? Like that that still that still works for me. Chris Paul is going to be setting uh you know hotel wake up calls for Harden at like four in the morning. That's hey, don't, don't doubt it, man. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> Whatever edge you can get, turn up the heat, turn off the heat, all, all that stuff, man. It's going to be enough. a lot of stuff happening. So it's pretty funny, the hotline for, like, ratting players out for trying to escape the bubble. It's been kind of on the down low. I haven't heard anything, um, any players reporting anybody as of, like, the last couple weeks. I mean, have you guys heard anything there? I I mean, me personally, I haven't heard anything. I mean, after after that uh, Lou Williams experience, I think everybody just kind (laughs) of – I think everybody just kind of recalibrated and just said, you know what? We're just going to eat the food here on campus and uh, yep. yeah, stay right here. So I think everybody's been playing it cool, looking at the big picture. And uh, Very I don't know who it was. I think a Seattle Seahawks player just got cut for trying to sneak. I saw that. I saw right that. Yes. And he was trying to sneak a little side piece up in, uh, into the hotel, and he got cut. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can see that, you know, maybe players are like, yo, I'm not even going to risk that. Let's just stick to hooping. So. Yeah. If you see a, a, a couple uh, extra mascots, you know, <laughs> walking around or something, people probably try to sneak in people that way or something, man. I don't you're, know. You're going to see the Spurs coyote and people are like, I thought they got eliminated. Why, you know, it's that. <laughs> Why is Minnie Mouse in the hallway? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into these playoff predictions with the Eastern Conference. Um, first matchup, we don't have to touch on very in depth. I don't think there's a ton to talk about there. It's the. Milwaukee Bucks and Orlando Magic. Um, Karan, you got any thoughts on that one or just want to rub right over that one? Right, well, you know what? The the Magic, it could have made it interesting, but I think they got a ton of injuries. Uh, I don't know what the situation is with Markel Folks yet. Uh, uh, Gordon, Jonathan, Isaac, you know, so many guys. Isaac, losing Isaac hurts, especially when you're playing against Giannis. Yeah, man, talking about that length and that physicality, the kind of slow – no one's going to stop Giannis, but they, they possibly slow him down. Uh, that was their best chance, and you take that away. They're still going to be scrappy, but, you know, Milwaukee is just, you know, too good as collectives. So I think that that will be a, you know, gentleman sweep uh, for them through that series. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be 4-0. I think Milwaukee will sweep it. I don't, I don't even know if Orlando will get one. Orlando's good. They've got some young players that can make noise. Uh, I went to the University of Texas, so I'm always a fan of DJ Augustine. Um, but – I just don't think they can stack up, especially the way the way Milwaukee plays defense. They're going to force Orlando to shoot. I don't think Orlando can really shoot that well. Even their best shooters, I think, are streaky. Um, Fournier's got game. I think he's got really underrated game, but I just can't really see them winning a game, honestly. 
Yeah, I think if they had Jonathan Isaac, I think they'd be able to squeeze the game just with um, him being one of the better players in the league, I think, to slow down Giannis. Uh, outside of that, I think every game will be 10-plus points. I don't think they'll even keep it within 10-4-0 pretty easy. Uh, I think, yeah, I don't even think there's many storylines here outside of uh, Markel looking to improve a bit. Um, that's the only thing I can really say. I'm looking forward to watching with Orlando in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big stage for him. Uh, I, I, if he's able to play, I don't know what the extent of his injury is, but I know he definitely don't want to miss that opportunity. It'll be a great stage for him to literally shoot all the balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only headline I can really think about, though, from Orlando's perspective is maybe the potential of looking to trade Aaron Gordon if they don't like um, the fit there and what they see in him. There's a lot of uh, simultaneous stuff going on uh, with their bigs there. I mean, where where does the value, I mean, looking at Aaron Gordon from a production standpoint, uh, I, I don't think he's like the the franchise guy. Maybe not even maybe not even the number two. I think he can be great a great number three option on a winning team. I love what he brings from an athleticism standpoint and all those things. But it's going to be interesting to see like what direction uh, John Hammond and those those guys go. You know, going forward. For sure. I think Aaron Gordon. Uh, I hope I'm not disrespectful with this comparison, but I think he's kind of like a, <laughs> a younger Rudy Gay. He's athletic. He's got size. He can do some special things, but he doesn't really take you over the top necessarily. Um, and he, so far in his career, despite putting up pretty good numbers, he hasn't been on like a winning team or led a winning team. Um, and I think that's kind of where he's at. So I agree with Karan. I think he could be a great third piece. Um, but, you know, he's going to – I forget he either got a fat contract or he's looking for one, and he deserves yeah. to get one. So did he get he's one? He's about up right now. But you think about Rudy Gay too in those – you know, those Memphis days and even some of the Sacramento years, you know, Rudy Gay was still, you know, 20 a night. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. he scored a little differently, uh, you know, than uh, Eric. So when you think about, like, the shooting ability, athleticism, like Rudy, I think he's a little ahead in all those spaces. But Aaron Gordon, I can see the comparisons because, you know, take it. One night you may see astronomical numbers and then, you know, for three, four games straight, you might see mediocre performance, and I think that's something he's been battling yeah. uh, for the duration of his career. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Rudy definitely had more skill and more touch. He was more of like a pure scorer. I think Gordon is just more raw athleticism, and then the, the skill and the touch is there kind of in spurts, like you're saying. Like one night, he's special, and then the next night, you know, I don't know, 14 and 8, 10 and 8, something like that. Um, but yeah. you still numbers well, just of course, of course. To, his, to, to his measure, like what you're saying. Right, right. And so he's going he's gonna to end up in a place where he's going to get paid well and the team is going to have to take a calculated decision on how big of a role he's taking on for that team. You know, does he want to be a one or a two? Um, or does he, you know, maybe take some type of different deal and end up as a three on a contender? Something like that. I don't know. What you give him, a nine or a ten? <laughs> yeah. He's been robbed. I've definitely been robbed of the dunk contest. I feel really bad for that because he's put together some creative dunks, some crazy yeah. dunks, brought the dunk contest back. So. Shout out to D-Wade on that one. <laughs> oh, man. Dwayne will never live that one down. Not at all. I mean, that comparison so Aaron Gordon, that's been his biggest problem, though. Efficiency really hasn't improved um, with his jump shooting, and people have been waiting for that to develop as he's 
taken more shots throughout these past couple of years. But Rudy Gay, uh, it's pretty crazy. Like some people may argue like his best years have been in San Antonio later in his career just because he's been the most efficient there. So I don't know, maybe it's all just about fit and system you're in for like somebody who plays like an Aaron Gordon or I don't know. I've always believed in him. And it's just, I, I hate the fit with him. Isaac Vooch and then trying to work in Bamba. I just don't think it works. I got a lot of like pieces, man. Like right. God do the, the same thing. And, you know, I think John Hammond is, you know, doing a remarkable job is trying to get as much talent on the roster as possible and then electing to shop whatever pieces and build through that way. Because let's face it, like a lot of time in free agency, you know, uh, Orlando Magic don't land like that well of a, a talent. So to do it, you know, via trade or something like that and build on the fly via draft, I think that that's the excellent way of going about it. And John Hammond is in the process of doing that. Absolutely. So on to the next series, we got the two-seed Toronto Raptors versus the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Nets, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they're just find, finding points. I mean, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris are playing out of their minds right now. Uh, then you got, I mean, just random guys scoring left and right for these guys. Um, I personally think they're going to squeeze out a game or two. I think this series is going to be 4-1 Toronto. That's what I'm going to settle with, 4-1. Uh, but I do think they're going to play Toronto pretty tight most of the series if they're hitting shots. I mean, I think that's a great headline. No story here. Like, I, I think that the real story isn't going to, you know, presume until Kevin Durant and Kyrie and Spencer Dinwiddie and all those guys, you know, join back together. Um, so, I think, you know, as well, gentlemen, sweet in this series also, uh, mm. not enough firepower. Um, when you look at Toronto, you think about OG and Ibaka and uh, <laughs> Lowry and uh, Gasol and all the guys, like, I, I just think that, Siakam, they, they, they're battle-tested, one. They, they've been slept on and doubted on by numerous people, uh, including myself. Uh, and when you think about their <laughs> deepness of disposition on being able to guard isolation basketball, which they're great at, so Levert, like that kind of slows him down uh, significantly, and that's the bulk of the offense for the Nets. And then when you also think about how they – is. Uh, how good they are at uh, defensive possessions and managing the pace. Uh, Coach Nurse does a remarkable job at, you know, just adjusting to personnel. So I, I love the Raptors, man. And, you know, to take it a little step further, uh, that that's one of my favorites, you know, coming out of the Eastern Conference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, honestly, I wanted the Nets to play the Bucks because I thought that would have been a more interesting matchup just because Milwaukee's whole – defensive scheme kind of relies on making you just out shoot yourself out of games, right? They'll give up the corner threes. Um, they'll pack the paint and just make you shoot in New, uh, New Jersey. Brooklyn likes to do that. So I could see them, you know, making that interesting, maybe winning like one or two, maybe. Um, but against Toronto, I think it's gentlemen sweep five games. Toronto's versatile. They have one of the most complete rosters, I think, in the whole NBA. Uh, they, they can pretty much do anything. They can switch everything. They have length. They have shooting. So they can kind of neutralize what Brooklyn does. Um, and then on top of that, they have creating from the front court with Gasol and Ibaka, um, and they just play sound defense. They're very well coached. Uh, I, I'm with Karan. I think that they, them and Boston, 
have tremendous potential to go far in the playoffs. I think Brooklyn, Toronto, gentlemen sweep. Yeah, both of you. Damn. You guys even think these games are going to be close? I, mean, I, I think uh, Brooklyn's got enough. They'll shoot enough, man. They'll shoot enough to make it interesting. Um, and, you know, I mean, they have, like, a lot of guys that can just kind of 3 and D, but I think they're going to run out of gas at the end of the day. Yeah, come on, man. They're not, they, they don't have no depth. I, I just think that they don't have enough bodies. Like, yeah. You, right. Yeah, when you think about the Raptors, like, they're battle-tested, man. Oh. Yeah, they're ready. Yeah, they got they got the G League All Stars on their bench every night. It's unbelievable. They just a new guy pops up out of nowhere looking like he's a breakout candidate. Um, I had Karis Levert as my most improved player before the year, and then he got injured. However, August, I mean, he should have been um, right on the uh, All Bubble team. He finished with twenty seven six seven, and then fifty percent from the field. I mean, that was pretty incredible, uh, leading them to five and two. Do you believe that he can be that third wheel for the Nets, or is he more playing for uh, possibly getting traded, raising his drafts trade staff? Well, I, I think I think everybody, with the exception of you know Levert right now, is just you know playing and auditioning, and that's the beautiful thing about you know making it into the playoffs and having that opportunity and you know participating in the bubble play. Like, every time you step out there, it's a great chance and opportunity to audition. Um, and you think about the pieces that's coming back next season. You know, Kevin Durant won, Kyrie Irving, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, those guys, like, you're thinking about championship. You know, they're going to try to, you know, win championships. They have a window of about, you know, three to five years, and they have to cop- capitalize on that opportunity. And um, – you know, I, I think that, you know, whoever can be an asset to that format and that foundation that they have established, they will be around. And who isn't? If they can go ahead and, you know, be used as a carrot to retrieve assets, then that's what's going to happen. Do you think they can pay all these guys? Because I think Joe Harris is going to be getting some pretty nice offers. Uh, Dinwiddie's contract's coming up here sooner than later, too. And I, just, I, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean – I mean, you're going to – I mean, I know the cap is going to be different now when you think about right. revenue and everything that's happening, you know, in the world. So I don't think that they'd be able to pay everyone. But you can see a ton of rental situations, you know, uh, keeping people for half the seasons and offsetting them and trying to get something just as similar or valuable or trying to, you know, build on the fly with, you know, obtaining picks and things like that. But, uh, you know, I think Harris, you know, for the foreseeable future, when you think about championship pieces and how they fit in and how, you know, uh, the history of the game has been built, foundational pieces, you have the dynamic guys. And then you have that that third, fourth option guys that can knock down shots, that can defend, you know, a few positions. And I think that Harris is a, a championship piece, you know, to a winning team. So his, his value – uh, you can't really put a number on his value. So I think he's going to be an asset that the Nets try to keep. Yeah, I think he might be the most valuable um, of those three guys there for sure. Yeah, and I think they're going to once they get KD and Kyrie back and they actually play and see what they've got, I think they're going to further be able to figure out, you know, at the margins, what do they need to improve? What are those missing, you know, championship role-playing pieces um, that they need to surround them with? So I think it'll take – like they have enough – they have a lot of players and assets to kind of flip to make something happen. I just think they need to figure out what that is to shore it up. 
Yeah, I love what Laverse doing too. By the way, I think he's yeah. amplified his value. But let's face it, like when Kyrie and KD come back, I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not a. <laughs> I just don't think the ball would be in his hand that much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like considering those guys are isolation players and need that feel and that touch. So uh, when I look at Harris, I just think that he fits like a glove with the way that they play. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. It's it's hard to have three twenty-five points per game scores on a team. That doesn't come around too often. Uh, but it was pretty crazy. I mean, Levert, I mean, is fifth in the league right now in the restricted area at 73% since it started. So, I mean, I think he adds a little value there. Um, That's it. You that's it. So last big storyline of that series, I think Jacques Vaughn is coaching for his his career a little bit here. Uh, I'm not so sold that they're gonna hang around, keep him around. Uh, there's just been so much smoke with Ty Lue and a lot of these other assistants out there, and I don't know. It's tough. I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on coaching situation in Brooklyn? It's a lot of things out there. Uh, you think about the history of guys that's going to be available. You think Sam Cassell, uh, Van Gundy. Uh, you think possibly Mark Jackson. Um, you think Ty Lue, that probably makes sense just because of the history. You think of Jason Kidd, he's been there before. Uh, not that personnel. So it's just a lot of, a lot of names that make sense. And I think that, you know, they have to be battle-tested because they're going to be thrown into the fire immediately. And they're going to be expected to win immediately. And you have to be able to handle that that New York hazing, so to speak. You know what I mean? So uh, I can see any one of those guys, you know, stepping right in there and doing a great job uh, with that roster. I'd love to see Sam Cassell get a chance, honestly. Um, That'd be sick. Yeah, he's been on the bench with a lot of good teams. Um, you know, he knows the game, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I would really like to see Sam Cassell get a chance. He's kind of one of those names that always gets floated, never gets hired for the head coaching gig. So, I don't know. I think it's eventually it's got to be his time. And, you know, that's a good collection of talent. So They might give Sam Cassell, like, the reboot uh, job with the uh, Bulls or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hey. That's the job so you, like, they usually give us, man. Like, all right, you know, develop them. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Bulls, my God, what a situation. Yeah, man. I, I thought they were going to burn down the streets. I thought that was going to be the biggest ride of the year, the way things were blowing up on Twitter. It was pretty wild. I mean, how excited those fans were. <laughs> Jimmy B. Yeah, I saw someone say uh, Chicago reached its boiling point. I thought that was funny. Yeah, they sure <laughs> That's have. good. That's good. Rebuild. Yeah, for real. Zach Levine's talented, though, um, and I, I still think Lowry Markkinen, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, has a lot of room to grow. But, yeah, bad situation. And I'm glad Chris Dunn got a chance to kind of hoop a little bit. I feel like in Minnesota he was kind of just non-existent, and he and people, you know, wrote him off. But he kind of, you know, he had put up some decent numbers in Chicago to kind of redeem himself a little bit, I thought. So. They got to go, go find their Nick Nurse. I mean, that's – that's what everybody's trying to find now. I mean, who's the guy that's going to develop players next? And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good assistant coaches out there. And I don't know. It, it, it's tough to find because, obviously, <laughs> there's hey, only, like, what? Speaking of Nick Nurse, Karan, who's your coach of the year? For me, it's Nick Nurse. 
I mean, you lose Kawhi, you lose Danny Green. Um, it's either Nick Nurse or Billy Donovan, in my opinion. Uh, I could go. I can go with Nick, uh, Billy, and you know, uh, my dark horse would be uh, Nick McMillan. I love the job that he's done with the Indiana Pacers, and you know, not having their star player yeah. for quite some time, and still just doing a remarkable job at staying afloat. And you know, you got to give Coach Vogel a, a ton of credit as well, even though LeBron is still LeBron. Uh, he's done a remarkable job. Think about this. For the first time in LeBron James' career, you have not heard rumblings about a coach being fired. Yes, there we go. Ooh, this true. is the first time ever you never heard no rumblings because the Lakers hit the ground running and they've been playing extremely well. And that goes to the credit of, you know, Vogel and Jason Kidd and those guys, the coaching staff. First time ever the 17 seasons. No, I, I agree. I, yeah, I haven't heard shit. <laughs> it's it's dead silent on that front. No, normally, it's boiling all year, every year. Yeah. That's, that's funny. I, I haven't thought about that storyline. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So, being talking Indiana, that's my favorite series in the first round. Uh, Indiana at the four, Miami at the five. Hold up, hold up. Don't I don't skip, think it's uh... – don't skip uh, Boston, though. We skip Boston. We'll get there. We'll get there. Let's just dive into the four five. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind I don't of – I think it's unfortunate that we got to see Miami and Indiana go against each other so early because I feel like both yeah. of them could have gotten to the second round, honestly, depending yeah. on who you play, especially because Philly is banged up. So depending on, like, like if Miami had dropped to the six, you know, I could see them going toe-to-toe with Boston and I could see Philly losing to Indiana potentially. But – I. You know what? I, you can't – like, one of the greatest coaches uh, in our game is Eric Spolster. Yeah, for sure. I Absolutely. think that, you know, Miami has always been the team that held a uh, – that hung their hat on the end on the defensive end of the floor. But now Eric's done a remarkable job at adapting to his personnel. So now offensively, while in the bubble, they're great. So I will have to say with the leadership of Jimmy Butler and with the history of, you know, not – just letting T.J. Warren and those guys walk away with this series. I'm going to go with the Miami Heat in this series, but I think it's going to go six or seven. I think they're pretty yeah. evenly matched. Uh, you know, we look at, you know, from a coaching standpoint, we got a personnel standpoint with Rodman and Dragic and all these different guys. Uh, it's going to be so many intriguing matchups with Bam out of Bayou. I just – I like what – that series uh, bring to the table. But if I was a better man, I had to go with the Miami Heat in that series. Yes, I say Heat in seven. Um, don't forget they got Iguodala. So they have that veteran presence who's, like you say, he's battle-tested. Uh, Duncan, Robinson's, Duncan Robinson has had a heater all season. I like him. Man, he's lighting it up. Uh, yeah, and Drogic and Jimmy Butler's leadership. Like, look, he's one of those guys that I would imagine – you hate to play against and you love to have on your team, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I think he's going to lead those guys into battle. Um, yeah, I, I got to go with Miami. Although Oladipo and Warren are going to go off. So we'll see. So you got Indiana who loves their long twos. Um, they both have two different starting lineups. I mean, Miami's been hitting the three ball at a good clip right now. Uh, as much as I'd like to say Indiana's, could pull this off because they won the season series 3-0. I'm also going Miami 4-3. I think this is going to be the best series of the first round going seven games. 
it's just crazy to me because no Sabonis, uh, both teams, I mean, Myers Leonard, I mean, started every game for these guys this year. I know he's not the biggest name in the world, but to have one of your starters gone, I mean, the way they've been playing where they were at their peak, in my estimation, uh, they've, they've gone with a completely different lineup and they're constantly changing two or three of their guys every game. So they're not fully, I mean, fully functioning in 100% with a structured starting five, which, I mean, could work to their advantage, sure. But uh, I, I just don't know, like, how many rounds it's going to take for them to get to 100% of what their current product is. Yeah, you think you talk about, you know, uh, Myers Leonard and the, the absence of Sabonis, but also think about another guy that was coming into his own with that ball club too, Jeremy Lamb. The way yep. he was performing and playing this season, you know, hit some big shots for them and was just fitting in like a glove. And, you know, fortunately, you know, it's a misfortune for him in that organization that he went down with that knee injury. You know, so I think they've been trying to recover ever since. And, you know, Victor Oladipo electing, you know, possibly not participating in the bubble and then he eventually came and has been performing, you know, solid, you know, but at the same time, I just think that when you look at the Miami Heat, you talk about the culture, when you talk about their disposition and how they're going to come in, uh, win your matchup, uh, they got enough healthy bodies. They got uh, veteran leadership. You got Udonis Haslam out there. He just hit a huge three. He's going to be poured into those guys. Like I just think that they have a little bit more in the tank and more at stake, and I think they're, they're going to impose their will on that series. Yeah, I mean, especially with Indiana going super small. Uh, Aaron Holiday, Oladipo, Brogdon, three guards starting every game. And then you add in T.J. Warren as their power forward right now. I just, yeah, you're right. I think that's a strong point with Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder. I mean, being bigger, bulkier guys. And that lineup, that starting lineup in the bubbles was minus six per 100 possessions. Like, they're a negative group, the group they've been starting every game. So, they got to they got to figure out the right formula. Who, who knows? And maybe Miami can just run them out the way they've been playing and from top to bottom. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I I just, I just think Miami's too versatile. Um, you know, and they have the best front court player in Bam. Um, I don't know who the best perimeter player is. I mean, T.J. Warren's been playing like it, but again, I'm riding with Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, they they're, they're going to play defense. They have shooters. You know, they can spread them out. I think they can kind of play them different in different ways, and they're just more versatile. You know, if Warren's not hitting, at least so far in the bubble, when Warren hasn't been playing well, you know, they haven't ticked the same. Um, I got a good chance to see the Pacers against the Rockets, and they, they went down to the wire against the Rockets without Westbrook even playing and without Daniel House as well. So um, I just think Miami's the better team, but I think it's going to be a good series. It's heated. So Playoff Iggy in full effect. Straight up. I've seen that firsthand. And playoff, he's a killer, you know? They, they need him. They're paying him to. They're paying him to bring it. So. And in addition to that, sorry, I was going to say in addition to that, I'm excited. Hopefully Miami wins because I think the better matchup against Milwaukee is Miami. And I think, I think that series has a lot of potential. So I hope we get to see that, you know? Yes, but, absolutely. My other sleeper, I guess they're not a sleeper because they're the three seed, but Boston, Philly. Boston is dangerous. I think Boston is very – oh, there you go. I think Boston is dangerous, man. Uh, they have oh, three, I see you. <laughs> they got three guys scoring 20-plus. 
Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the Rockets with small ball, but I really think Boston has been doing it for the for a majority of the season. It's like a bigger version of small ball. But, you know, when you think about it, they run Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Hayward, Marcus Smart, uh, you know, Daniel, Daniel Tyson, the big guy, um, big guy, you know. So I think they have a lot of length. They, they're well coached. They play good defense. They can shoot. They can score. Um, and I just think Philly's too – too thin at the wing, especially without Ben Simmons. Um, you know, they've got Horford and Embiid, which is kind of already an awkward fit. Uh, Tobias Harris is super talented, but after that, it's just kind of a different batch of like role player after role player that is not necessarily proven. So I honestly see Boston taking it in five, maybe six, if Embiid can take over. A couple yeah, they got, they, the 76 have got a lot of light. Uh, they, got, they have like four foremen, uh, yeah. minus yeah. Ben Simmons and his versatility. And I think those guys all occupy starting positions. So when you have to play all of them, when you think about the matchup situation that you touched on, they actually have four guys that can go out there and get you anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50 points on any given night. When you think about Kimball Walker, who's been a, you know, a, a late season add-in, a ton of their success and their development happened, you know, on the heels of Jason Tatum. I think he's all NBA player this year. First time NBA All-Star, and, a, and he's on his way to becoming a superstar and a generational talent. And then with the development of Jalen Brown and, you know, Gordon Hayward, and then now you add Kimball to that mix, and Marcus Smart, those guys are seasoned. They are on the cups of doing something special. And when I think of, you know, the injury to Ben Simmons, I just don't think that, you know, uh, Tobias Harris and, those guys can, you know, rally around and just cover so much that of a void that Ben Simmons kind of covered. You know, defensively, Ben Simmons was phenomenal. Yeah. It took Dan Van Gundy to show me, like, this clip of him defensively, the breakdown. I was like, yeah, he's solid. He was like, you need to see this clip. And I watched him guard, like, so many positions in the deflections and his activity on the defensive end of the floor. Now you take away that void, and we all know that, I mean, Brett Brown is not going to make a ton of adjustments, you know, in a playoff series. You know, you might see ben, uh, uh, Joel Embiid out on the perimeter shooting threes for the all I know this whole damn series. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would have to give it to Boston in six. That's where I'm at. I'm at Boston in six. It's going to be interesting who the second most important player for Philly is in this series. Like. Boston, it can just be a collective group all the time, and it doesn't matter if anybody ever plays 100% in this series, as long as everybody's playing 70 to 80. I think they can be just fine and cruise pretty good in a six-game series. But offensively, I think Philly's going to be there. But like you just said, Ben, arguably being the defensive player of the year this year and being able to guard one through five, just covering so much ground there. I think it's it's going to be too tough for that lethal Boston offense. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, all of that aside, too, I think what Karan was also kind of implying is that Boston has the coaching advantage, at least in my opinion. Um, right? <laughs> you and, think? Yeah. Just and, put it out there. <laughs> just put think, it out there. And I think also, um, and this might be more of like an intangible or more of a who knows, we don't really know, but you've kind of seen – Embiid, you just see frustration when he when he's out there. I, I think he looks frustrated um, for, you know, a variety of reasons. But the team chemistry just kind of, especially without Simmons, it seems like it's out of whack. It seems like they're kind of in a funk. 
um, in addition to just kind of fitting awkwardly with, with you know, Horford and, and Embiid, which I think was not a, st- a smart personnel decision from the jump. But I just don't – like, I think they have talent. I don't think they have enough talent to match with Boston. And I think that they're just not on the same page as a team um, to the point that if they get pushed to the brink, they might not, you know, have, like, the mental toughness to swing back and stay in it. So I, I'm, I'm going to say this, too. Uh, if, if the 76ers aren't careful, that window can become a crack yeah. rather quickly. Yeah. When you think about injuries and when you think about having the, the proper coaching position and all those things, that window closes quickly. Think about Lob City and the Clippers and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre yeah, and, City and all of them. You know, we all was together and won a Pacific Division title and all, of, all these things was happening. We didn't capitalize on the opportunities. And we thought that we had borrowed time and those opportunities just got smaller and smaller where it literally just disappeared. And then you had to go through a whole rebuild process to bring the logo in and Doc Rivers to create what they have now. But that opportunity shrinks rather quickly. So, you know, I hope that the 76ers are really, uh, you know, in the war room, got their thinking hats on and move accordingly going forward. Yeah, I think they're going to have to move on one of those contracts. I mean, I think they're definitely going to have to move on either Tobias Harris or Al Horford. Probably. I mean, I would guess they got to move on Horford, in my opinion. And then hopefully not, but they might even have to choose between Ben and Embiid down the line at some point. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree with you. Tough choice. Yeah. So tell me this, though. Say if Joel Embiid plays to 100% of what he can play, that MVP-type candidate, he takes these guys to the seven games or even pulls something out of his ass and wins the series. Because a lot of people out there, which is crazy to me, think if you put Joel Embiid and four shooters together, more magic might happen than him and Ben Simmons. I, I would never believe this. I don't – I'm not with it, but – I think there's a world where, I mean, they could catch fire, shoot 40% from three or something like that for the series. I don't like, I don't think there's a 0% chance Philly loses this series. I mean, wins the series. Um, I think there is 20% chance they could win. Uh-huh. If they were to win this series, though, would you guys think about trading Ben? Well, just for the record, uh, not to continually bring up the Rockets, but they played the Rockets yesterday, and they were <laughs> they were eighteen to thirty eight from three, and I was surprised. I was like, "Yo!" At one point, they were sixteen to twenty eight, and I was just like, "Yo, what the you know what the hell's happening?" So they could momentum, right? They could, um, but like we've seen, when you rely, when you live and die by the three, and you're not that good of a three point shooting team, more often than not, you're going to die by the three. So it's not a zero percent chance, and B could take over. But like I was saying. I think there's some other stuff kind of bubbling beneath the surface um, and he's not necessarily fully focused and the team's not necessarily all on the same page for him to take over in that way that he would need to. Yeah. I think you have to be in what they say, optimum condition to do that. And I, you know, to my understanding, they've been monitoring him from a practice standpoint. Uh, You know, so now he has to go like full throttle. Now the thing that does help Embiid in this case is that, there's no travel in between games. You know, it's all at one location. And I think that helps LeBron. I think it helps a lot of guys, you know, uh, that's a little, you know, got a little more years and things like that, mileage to him. But in Embiid's case, I think it helps significantly. And if he's able to, you know, manage that and be 
so efficient and not live on the perimeter and just pretty much, you know, dominate his matchup and his position and draw double teams and help guys get open looks and opportunities like Thibo and Richardson and those guys. Like, it's, it's possible. So, like, anything can happen. I mean, I think that everybody has a, a fighting chance at this thing because it's just so many unknowns in this climate, in this bubble. But yeah. at the same time, I think that when you think big picture for the 76ers uh, and management, do you want that possibility? Because you want to show that, you know, Embiid needs Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons need Embiid. So you don't want too much success coming out of there. And let's face it, they had to have a news conference to say that Brett Brown was going to be actively the coach for the twenty se- the, the 2020 season. Right. So that lets you know that where, where smokes, there's fire. So you want to probably not have that success where you can just make that move and move forward next season. Right. Yeah, his seat is as hot as any, I'd say. Uh, he's, he's due. They're due to take a change. If they're not growing together on the court, I mean, something's got to change, and that's the easiest place when it's been pretty pretty monotonous for a while. So wrapping up with this, Karan, I mean, do you think there's anybody out there that can challenge the, the Milwaukee Bucks? Oh, absolutely. We we talked about it's the Raptors. Yeah. I think I think the Raptors and the Boston Celtics are the two teams that I have Milwaukee coming out of the Eastern Conference. Okay. However, I would not be shocked if the Celtics or the Raptors came out of the Eastern Conference for all the things that we talked about. The Raptors are great in the half court. They're great with defensive schemes. They show you different looks. They got a ton of bodies that they can throw at you. Uh, Offensively, they play well as collectives. They have not a chip, but a boulder on their shoulder because a lot of people (laughs) have doubted them, considering and including myself. So I think that when you add all that together and with the great direction of Coach Nurse, anything is possible. And I've seen them build a wall and take away real estate where Giannis had tough, difficult outings against them. And then you have a hybrid like Siakam. I'm not going to call no man Spicy P. So I'm just going to call him, you know, P. You know what I mean? Like he's dope on the offensive end of the floor. He's a hybrid. He posed some threats at Giannis. And then also, I love the fact that, you know, I think that they're playing with a different age, just uh, edge, just because Kawhi Leonard, the exit of him leaving the team. And I just think that, you know what, if they can slow down Giannis, they put a lot of pressure on Middleton, uh, Eric Bledsoe, and they have yet to show us that they can win series, you know, without Giannis playing absolutely like on at, a, at an MVP uh, caliber level. Yeah. yeah. I completely am on board with both those teams. I mean, Boston's number two in defense and Toronto's number one in the league in defense. So if anybody can help – double team this guy and by collective group I mean it'd be those two teams I completely agree and I don't know which one I'd give the edge to over the other I'd probably say Boston just because Jason Tatum I think they got that player they can rely on have that backbone I mean go for 35 40 any night of the week but I mean Toronto's got that deep run that experience and they know what it takes to get there so it'll be interesting I think they both have an equal opportunity yeah, um, so I like to look at the ratings, like how the like the advanced like offensive defensive ratings 
I don't put all my stock in them, but I think it usually gives you just an idea of where a team is at comprehensively on the season. And so Boston is one of the few teams that's top five in both offensive and defensive rating. Um, like I said, they're versatile. They can come at you from all angles. They're, they're one of the, like, they have three guys that score 20 plus, and then they got Hayward, who I think gives you 17, 18 a night. So they're very versatile. Um, and then Toronto, for the same reasons. They're long, they're athletic. They have the body types that can kind of match up against the length of the Bucks. They have a lot of shooting. So if Toronto, I'm sorry, if Milwaukee gives them open shots, it might burn them. Um, and we, like, like Karan talked about, we've seen them wall Giannis off and force you know, the, the rest of the team to beat them. They've lost doing so. Um, so, you know, and, and look, winning playoff series and actually winning it all, it just gives you a whole different perspective. Like Karan said, you're battle tested. So all of that stuff matters, man. So I think, I mean, obviously it's either going to be Milwaukee first for most people, but I really, really deep down feel like Boston or Toronto is going to upset. One of those two is going to make upset. I would not be shocked. At all. Yeah, at all. So, and. The question is, which team has that tough juice? <laughs> oh, you, I got to go with the Raptors. Raptors got the tough there you go. juice, man. There you go. Raptors are some dogs. Yeah. You talk about Kyle Lowry, like the way he bringing it, Siakam, the way he's playing. Van Vliet. Van Vliet, yeah. Hey, don't, don't let somebody say that he got another baby on the way. He's really going to be born. <laughs> he's got twins. He's got twins and a contract season. Hey, man, I'm telling you, if last season when they was like, yo, he got a baby on the way, the dude was just having out-of-body performances. So I said, if somebody say that his wife or his fiance is pregnant again now, oh, it's over. <laughs> and look, I don't like to talk. I don't like to reduce basketball to like one-on-one matchups because a lot of times in the game, switches happen, things happen off the ball. It's not really a one-on-one game across the board. But if you're looking at the game at like at individual matchups, you got Kyle Lowry and Eric Bledsoe. I like that matchup for Toronto. Um, like we talked about, Siakam has the length to kind of mitigate what Giannis can do, theoretically. Ibaka's got the length. When you think of Brooke Lopez, Mark Gasol is on the other side for Toronto. Seasoned vet, very good defensively, very crafty in the front court. And he can stretch the floor, similar to how Brooke Lopez does. So, I mean, across the board, man, it, you know, it just looks good for Toronto to kind of be primed to pull that. Very good. Well, really appreciate you coming on today, Karan. We'll wrap up with that. Uh, I just want to note, love that artwork in the background. That's that's fresh. Whatever you got going on back there, I like it. Appreciate it. Enjoy this, enjoy this playoff run, man. I really appreciate it. Likewise, bro. Anytime. Yeah, hey, thank you for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Hey, come on, man. We love talking hoops, baby. You know what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you on NBA TV. Bruce right, Williams, Zach Noble, thank you for tuning in, guys. Yep. Salute. Sir. Welcome back to the second edition of the Noble and Roos show by Ball is Life. Uh, we just finished up a really nice Eastern Conference preview uh, with Karan Butler and uh, one of his co-workers from time to time happens to join us today um, on his second appearance of a Ball is Life podcast and his name is Eric Pincus. Eric, how are we doing today? Uh, not too bad. Looking forward to some playoffs. Awesome. Great to have you. So what storyline are you looking most forward to with the Lakers? Lakers. Well, uh, you've got, got to shut down Damian Lillard. That's not going to be an easy thing. 
Uh, I'm just excited that we're here, you know, after all of this, uh, to finally get to playoffs, there was a lot of question of what would they do? We got, got this bubble, would it work? So many things could go wrong. We've gotten to this point. So it's pretty awesome just to, as they say, it's just good to be here. Good, just good to be here. Uh, just so good to be got. here. As uh, a Lakers guy. Come on, man. I'm saying for everybody to see all these teams play. <laughs> I mean, even the Grizzlies to go out the way they went out was pretty damn cool with Ja going crazy. I mean, there's a lot to build for. The Suns, the way that they went perfect, didn't make it. So, uh, you know, covering the Lakers as I do, uh, we all want to see Lakers Clippers. I, I think everyone, but the, of course, the Rockets fans and the uh, you know every other fan of every other team in the West doesn't want to see that. Uh, but in LA, that's what we want to see. So I'm hoping that we get a chance to go to the conference finals and, and uh, together, all of us watching this 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 bubble situation and get to see some great basketball. Uh, to that note, Eric, what do you think uh, about the prospect, or how do you feel about the prospect of you know? losing the potential of an L.A. versus L.A. showdown in the heart of L.A., you know, with fans attending and kind of like that whole atmosphere. Well, it, it, it it's, you know, impacts me directly because as a reporter, I'm like, you know, I don't root for teams, uh, but I have to root for myself <laughs> and my own coverage and my own, access, you know, accessibility. I'm thinking you get to the conference finals, I get, you know, first round, second round, conference finals, finals guaranteed if I get all – you know, Lakers, 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 Clippers in a series. So I don't get to go to any of the games now. And, you know, I could have gone to the bubble and maybe, you know, whatever. I'm, that, that was never going to really happen for me. It, it's not really where I want to go at this point. I'm, I'm rooting for, from a distance uh, for the NBA to succeed here. Uh, as far as home court, it's a double-edged thing where the Lakers have a huge advantage, home court versus Clippers, because uh, Clipper home games are going to be packed with Laker fans. I mean, Clipper home, Clipper fans are great. Uh, but when you have the Warriors come in, it's it's about 50-50 Warriors, Clippers. When you have Lakers in, when you have the Knicks in, you know, Knicks could be winning no games. You still have a ton of Knicks fans. So, you know, the Clippers don't have quite the same home court, but to a degree that stuff is overrated. It, it, you know, the, the players on the court are going to win. The best so players tell- the best execution. So it sounds like to me you said you had an option to go to the bubble, but you did, opted out of it? Uh, I mean, it, there were there were some discussions, and then there was also the, the possibility of being a reporter on the outside of the bubble. They have two levels of reporting, right. and you know, there's still the possibility I could stay on the outside of the bubble, go to some of that. But realistically, you know, I've got family, young. You know, my kids are older now; they're they're in uh, two are in high school, one's in uh, elementary school, but or rather middle school. But uh, I don't know. It, I don't think for where I'm at, I, I don't. You know, my focus is mostly on the business of the NBA anyway. For it's sure. not really purposeful for me to be there. There are other great reporters who are, are going to handle that. So getting straight to the basketball, um, I think one of the most, you know, I, I, the, the most obvious storylines of for the Lakers is um, I think Rondo's health. I've seen a lot of conflicting things. Some, some Laker fans seem to, to like Rondo. Some Laker fans mm-hmm. seem to think that the team is better off without him on the court. But either way, regardless of how you feel about him, he does bring, you know, a veteran presence. He brings experience. And quite frankly, I'm interested to see or to know from you um, what you think the lineup and the rotations are going to look like with Rondo there, with Rondo out. Are Jared Smith and Deion Waiters going to play bigger roles, you know, Caruso? Right, sure. Well, you know, it's the answer is really like, are they better off with Rondo or without Rondo? And the answer is both, right? It really Mm -hmm. is. Like, uh, 
the way to stop the Lakers, and we'll see if teams can do it, is heavy, heavy ball pressure, uh, like 94 feet the whole way. Just make it so that by the time LeBron is able to initiate the offense, they're low in the shot clock. Uh, that leads to like these little lobs up to AD while guarded in the post. You know, like a guy like PJ Tucker is not a great like AD matchup, but in the post he can handle it for the amount. You know, if it's not if the if the if the action isn't created properly and it's just a dump down to AD, when it's he's low man. and strong. Right. So that that's the idea. And so like Rondo is not a sh he needs the ball to be effective. He's not a good shooter, uh, though he can be a good shooter in stretches. We've seen he'll go three weeks and he'll shoot like 45%, and then he'll go another three weeks and shoot 22%, right? So uh, a player like that doesn't fit well with LeBron because he needs the ball and he can't shoot. So you know, when, Le when Rondo's hot, sure. But when he's not, he doesn't really help. He's not the defender he used to be. So there's that negative side of, yeah, they're better off with Caruso. You can see what waiters can do. He can he can drive to the basket and score creatively for himself, which Rondo can at this point at the same level. So uh, <clears throat> you say like, well, where does Rondo help? It's when those teams are doing what I described to the Lakers where they're having trouble getting the ball up. Well, Rondo can get the ball up. He can get the offense going so that they're not so reliant on LeBron. And over the course of a series and even over the course of a game, that might be hugely valuable. And, you know, there's just a point in any game or any series where, the offense just dies out and you need someone who can help do something, create something. And that's not going to be KCP and Danny Green. It's not going to be, you know, maybe a tiny bit Kyle Kuzma, but not realistically. He's not someone who's going to create that offense. So if you're relying on Deion Waiters to be that, that's a scary thought, you know, like <laughs> historically he's a fun player because he's a wild card because he does like amazing things on both sides of the coin, right? Like amazing. That was incredible or that was incredibly stupid. And it, not to say he's dumb or anything like that, because he's he's much brighter and, and he's got a great sense of how to play basketball. But he does call his own number way too much. And, you know, just like JaVale McGee, he's, I, I find JaVale McGee to be, like, way more intelligent than, you know, the Shaq and the Fool would ever give you, <laughs> you know, thought of. I mean, he's really a thoughtful human being and, and has great wisdom. Uh, but he is prone to making, like, silly mistakes. I think JaVale's cooled down over the years and gotten smarter as a player. Um, I think Dion is still in that kind of, you know, waiter's island zone every so often where it's like, dude, what are you doing? Kind of thing. Plus his jump shot is, <clears throat> the form's a little, you know, streaky, uh, hurtful oh. to my eyes. So from my perspective, uh, I always tell everyone I'm a Rockets fan, okay, first and foremost. Um, and from a Rockets fan's perspective, how, with, with respect to how they match up potentially with the Lakers, one thing that encourages me is the lack of dribble penetration outside of LeBron. Um, and I think losing Avery Bradley hurts in that respect. Not that he was much of a dribble penetrator by definition, but he had the ability to get into the teeth of the defense, moving off ball and catching with momentum and kind of getting into that second layer. Um, how do you think LA is going to be able to solve those issues? And do you think it's going to be a, an issue against Portland in the first round matchup? And, and how do you think that matchup is going to go? What's your pick? Well, if we focus on Portland, like, it's easy to look at Dame and say, you know, they have to weather, you know, Damian Lillard. The, the challenge is, is that the Blazers are not good defensively, which is perfect for the Lakers right now because their offense isn't great yet. In uh, the bubble, it started terrible, terribly. And, and if you watch LeBron, it, I don't know if it, it was that he wasn't ready or he wasn't trying, but he didn't look like LeBron. And if he's not going to be himself, 
he's the entire engine that makes this team work. So that's kind of the starting point. You're playing up against Portland, and now the Lakers should be unshackled. So, you know, look, if they're going to go down because their offense is terrible, it'll happen quick, quickly because, you know, you, you, the Blazers are going to score 115, 120 points, 100, who knows. They're going to put up a lot of points. Uh, that C.J. McCollum isn't entirely healthy is a concern. We saw he had a big game uh, to, to close out the Grizzlies, but I, I'm, I'm concerned over time, over a series where they're playing every other day and it's rushed, and they just finished up this heavy load where they had to just basically win almost every game in the bubble. Uh, and so, you know, if Dame is scoring 50 points a game, which is probably more than he will, like let's say he says, let's say I'll give him 40 a game, right? If mm. CJ scoring 25, 65 points from their backcourt, now they can compete. But if, if CJ is <laughs> down to 12 and they're holding Dame to 40, that's like 50-something points. And then you've got to <laughs> handle, uh, you know, AD and LeBron scoring. And you know, all these issues that you said about the Lakers dribble penetration, they're, they're entirely reliant on LeBron. Uh, but – LeBron's pretty damn good. And so it, it's easier said than done to deal with that. And they don't have great defenders at that position. Carmelo's not going to be a great defender against sure. LeBron. You know, Gary Trent doesn't have the size physically. Um, someone like Zach Collins hasn't played particularly well. He's not going to be great against AD. Uh, he's probably their best option against AD, but he's not playing at his best. And I think Nurkic and uh, Whiteside, Whiteside is a problem defensively for the Blazers. Nurkic brings more, but I think AD has the mobility to, to get around him. So, you know, it's, you know, Lakers have those, those bigs that can deal with Nurkic with Dwight and JaVale where they don't have to worry about scoring. It's not like Jonas Valanciunas, right, where they were just giving it to each other. They weren't really defending. You know, the Lakers have bigs they're going to throw out. So I don't love the, the matchup for the Blazers personally, but there is something about that playoff magic that, you know, Laker fans are familiar with, right, with, with Kobe and, and what he did over the course of his life, that one guy can do insane things that don't fit, that don't make sense in a basketball contest, shots that shouldn't be taken. I mean, Little Lord will pull up from the logo and drain a, you know, 30-something foot shot. And it's like, well, how do you defend that? You got to put someone up here and guard him all the way up here. And that could take Dwight out of the equation. You know, Dwight may find himself lost in this. So there's a lot of questions. I think the Lakers have the advantage. I have Lakers in five. Okay. I do think that the Blazers can spin this and turn this on its head if the Lakers aren't shooting well. If, if it's going to LeBron's creating shots and their kickouts, the wide open guys, and they're breaking every shot for multiple games, then, you know, they're not going to win. Exactly. Do you give the Blazers more than a 10% chance to win this thing or what? I mean, you know, it's hard to put a percentage number on it. I think they have a real shot. So I'm not going to oh. say – yeah, I, I, I do. I think they have a legitimate shot to beat the Lakers. I'm picking the Lakers in five, which means I'm saying I have a, it's a strong pick for the Lakers, but it's, right. not, it's not something that I go in and say, oh, yeah, this is – there's some series – like I look at you know, Clippers-Dallas, and I, I really like the matchup for the Clippers. I don't okay. think they can – you know, I'm more confident in picking the Clippers over Dallas, and that's just a matchup thing. If, if this was any other team at the bottom, this was Utah, or if this was – even if this was Dallas – I'd yep. pick the Lakers much you know, more strongly because, you know, you, I, as great as Luka is, LeBron is better. And then who's the next best player on the Mavericks, right? Yep. You've got Kawhi and Paul George who can match up with Luka. Like, where do the Mavericks go after that? So, you know, they're, 
matchups are that you know that's what that's what the playoffs all are about are all about you know, how you match up with a team and how you're playing in that matchup and what you can do so I'm not going to count the Blazers out entirely okay I love it no that makes me excited I'm definitely I'm definitely with you so I want to focus a couple more questions on this Lakers series and then we'll get into the other ones but um, what I mean how worried are you about LeBron and the Lakers right now the way they came into this the bubble playoffs here I mean they didn't look a hundred percent at all and I mean, integrating a lot of these new guys. And then you got Rondo, and um, I think KCP is coming back to get back to full strength. But uh, I'm not as worried as many, but it seems like a lot of people are worried and almost playing the underdog card out there, which is just absolutely ridiculous to me. <laughs> yeah, so I thought in the first couple of games, LeBron didn't look great. Um, it didn't look like he was really ready and wasn't really – applying his trade to his best ability and that slowed down their engine at the same time uh i thought kuzma looked really good uh in stretches ad looked amazing and in stretches he looked kind of bored once the lakers clinched it, it looked like they did, didn't care anymore and as much as you want everybody to care and play every game like it's their last game that's just not reality and they're in this new environment someone like kcp you know i said this earlier before the bubble I said, I don't think he's going to play well at first. Because if you look at his track record, if you put KCP in a new situation, he's going to flounder until he's comfortable. Once he's comfortable, he's going to be himself. He's, he's, he's a good, solid player. He's not an A-level player, but he's a good defender. He's a really helpful role player. He can hit a lot of shots. He can score a little bit off the dribble. They have a couple of sets that they ran for Avery and KCP that they still run that, that either gets them a shot or a drive or a lob to Dwight or JaVale. They'll run that sort of thing. Uh, but when he's uncomfortable, he just he just doesn't handle it. Like when he had his legal situation, um, you know, last year or whatever it was, uh, maybe two years ago, whatever it was, he did not play well during that stretch. When he was pushed to the bench, you know, he didn't play well at first. When you, you know, when you give him different plays, you know, it, it's the, uh, it's kind of like a Lamar Odom thing. Lamar Odom was kind of like that too. Um, some players just need sure. to be comfortable. And once they're comfortable, I think KCP will be comfortable. And I think that, um, if you look at his track record, his shooting numbers will arc up. It's a, it's a graph that, you know, it's low, 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 and then it's, it's going to jump right back up. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about the Lakers' eight games that they played. I said they needed to win two. And they won, <laughs> what, did they win three? Yeah, I don't know. They won so, at least three. Uh, well, right. So mm -hmm. I didn't expect them to do much more than that, to be honest. So – I think I'm with you pretty much on everything there. Um, you say Blazers in five. I agree. Blaze, I'm sorry, Lakers in five. I agree Lakers in five uh, for the sim simplified reason. <clears throat> and I hate simplifying things because basketball is so complex. But at the end of the day, I think it's just kind of an overblown thing. The Blazers, look, they were playing for their playoff lives. They had everyone healthy. Uh, they still don't play defense. And like you said, they just put up numbers. And that's great. But look, I I watch a team that has been entirely or, you know, not entirely, but very heavily reliant on one guy scoring. And I know that when your team gets that type of contribution and you're still barely winning games against mediocre to below average competition, such as the Nets with all the injuries and the Grizzlies without uh, Jaron Jackson, I just don't think it translates to beating LeBron in the playoffs, quite frankly. And I see a lot of people saying, hey, you know, this, this might be the best eighth seed of all time, which I think is disrespectful to some of the great eight seeds that we've seen. Um, but I just don't think they're that good. I think they're fun. I think the story's fun. Carmelo's hitting big threes, you know, at the end of games. 
Lillard's playing out of his mind. CJ's braving the back injury. You know, Nurkic came back and he's playing very well and he just had a really painful family loss. So that's another storyline. Um, condolences to him. But at the end of the day, I just don't think they're going to win. What do you think, Zach? No, I got uh, Lakers 4-2. But honestly, I think the Blazers have just as many chances, just as big of a chance as anybody else outside of the Heat Pacers uh, to upset. Seriously, I think uh, the Blazers, I mean, just because they're scoring prowess, and I don't, I don't know what offense is going to come with the Lakers, but um, I think Lakers have been my pick since the beginning of the season. I'm not ready to run on them, but the way Dame's playing is ungodly right now and out of this world, and CJ's coming around fighting through that back, and if Melo can shoot 49%, let's be honest, and above 40% from three, uh, Gary Trent, I don't know. I don't think the Lakers, I mean, are, are going to come out full blast on defense right away. So um, Blazers would have to steal game one or two to get another one, I think. Um, if they go down 2-0, I could see it just running away. Uh, Blazers are a team that needs home court advantage. Uh, they're a team that could suffer without um, have it, getting the chance to play at home in the playoffs, I think, against a really good team. I think that's going to matter. Uh, last question in regards to this series, I guess. Who's going to be the most important for the Lakers going forward throughout this playoff run outside of the big three, I guess? Big three being Kuzma being the third? It's hard uh, to say who the third. I don't know sure. who the, the third Laker is. You know, like, I've argued that Dwight could be the third most important Laker. You, you could argue that Caruso yeah. is the third most important Laker. You could argue that Kuzma, certainly from a scoring perspective, I don't know if there's a big three here. I mean, there's obvious two, uh, but they, you know, they don't need, and this isn't it. This is a strength. They don't need great performances every night from the same guy. They just simply don't. Yep. You have, I mean, other than AD and LeBron, right? As if Kuzma gives you 20, great. You're probably going to win 20 plus. If you get 12 and 12 and 12 from three other guys, you're probably going to win. Like if it's an efficient 12 from KCP Caruso, you know, and guys are hitting their shots, you don't need a ton of points because, you know, Lakers put a ton of pressure on you both offensively and defensively. Now, if they're shooting like crap and the whole team shooting 20-something percent, then, yeah, they're going to struggle. I, I don't think that that's indicative of who they are. You know, Danny Green could light this thing up. We've seen him go on stretches. Right. I, you know, there's something, you know, you, like you said, you gave the Blazers some credit that, you know, that they could upset. We've all given them that credit. But I spent a lot of years watching Kobe – when he was on subpar teams and he would have incredible flurries of 50 point games, six for sure. Or, or, you know, I was at those great sun series where the Lakers went, went up and almost beat, you know, the better team won out. I mean, Kobe was playing, the starters were smush and, you know, I love Brian cook from my experience with him, but he's not, wasn't like an elite level basketball player. Kwame Brown, you know, Luke Walton, like Kobe got that team almost past, like of that era, the Suns were like the team of that era outside of the Spurs always beating them. They were like the regular season team of that era. And the Lakers almost got by them. It is so hard to just win with one elite score like you were you know, describing. And, and yes, CJ could. If CJ is going for 30 a game and Dame's going for 40 or 50, I mean, yeah, okay. But I'm not, I'm not ready to say that. But, you know, the third most important Laker, I can't even, I can't say who that is. So to say who the next most important Laker is, like the fourth, it, that, that's, that's too vague for me because this, this is a, it's a good thing. They're a team, but they right. need guys to step up. And if they don't, like those few games that we watched where they were just shooting bricks, 
It's going to be ugly. So in the sake of time, we got about eight, nine minutes left. Let's, uh, let's try to blaze through the rest of the first round. Eric, who do you got? Uh, Clippers, Mavs, I think you said Clippers? Yes, sir. Clippers in how many? Oh, uh, let's see. I'll give you that in a second. I actually wrote that stuff down. I have it right here. Uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Jeopardy. Cue that Jeopardy. My own prediction. Here it is. Uh, I have five. I have uh, – yeah. I, I, I just – I don't – I love what Luca does. And against another team, it would have worked better. Uh, against this team in particular, right. I just don't see it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, the Clippers are way too versatile. They can defend you. They can outscore you. I just, you know, I'd say, I'd say the Mavs might get hot and steal two, make it six, but ultimately Clips in five or six. Zach? Yep, I'm going Clips in five as well. Uh, yeah, they'd need to be lighting it up. I mean, 40% from three uh, in order to win a couple of these games. I just think the Clippers are way too deep. Uh, favorite headline in that series, Eric, whether it's a matchup or a headline. Uh, between how does who else is going to help Luca outside yeah. of you know just the, I think Porzingis, I think Porzingis, Porzingis? is a hell of a series. He's been he's, shooting, been he's been shooting lights out. Thirty one, thirty one and eleven in the bubble, averaging like two and a half blocks as well from up from nineteen and seven during the rest of the regular season. Pretty he's impressive. Cool he's going so, wild. While I I don't like the Clippers matchup against Porzingis on paper in that they don't have anyone close to that size. I don't have the confidence in that, in, in Porzingis yet against the Clippers in the playoffs. I just can't. I feel like Luka's going to create a lot. I don't think they're going to get enough out of Porzingis, and I just, I just think it's going to be – I think it's going to be bloody. I, don't, I, I, I just don't <laughs> think the Mavs are going to have a great time. It's not a good matchup for them. They're, you know, they would have done way better against Utah. They would have done way better probably even against Denver. Uh, they might have – it would have been entertaining against the Lakers, uh, because but I, I don't think they would have fared well against Lakers either. Uh, but yeah, I I, I think it's I, I'm not ready to believe that Porzingis is going to deliver, even though he has a height advantage here. So speaking no, uh, of, speaking of Utah and Denver, I don't I don't I don't mean to uh, speed us up, but we're running out of time. I want to make sure we cover all the way up to the finals. Uh, Jazz Nuggets, I think one of the one of the most boring matchups of the first round. But <laughs> what do you think? Um, I, I actually I had a lot of fives here. Uh, this is also in five uh, because it, and it's for Denver. Yeah, I, I Utah is shorthanded and also not very good. <laughs> yeah. And my comments so, out are even more shorthanded. Right. So it is what it is. I you know they're Denver is a great offensive team. They're not a very good defensive team. Utah's supposed to be this great defensive team. I'm not even sold that they are. And then they, they, have, they struggle to score. So I don't see how they're going to keep up. I don't think they're, they're good enough defensively to stop the Nuggets. And I don't think they have the offense to keep up with the Nuggets. So, yeah, they'll win a game, maybe two, but I have it in five. All right. That's, that's fair. I mean, they're not even a top five defense. And some may argue, I mean, they're not even like top seven, top 10. I mean, the way their statistics have shaken out this year, I think Donovan Mitchell would literally need to average 35 points uh, in order for them to win any game just because losing Boyan, Mike Conley, he hasn't been great all year. And I mean, he's. And he's out. Oh, he's, he's out, out for the first two or three games for sure. I mean, family over everything, of course. Um, you need Donovan Mitchell to have uh, an outstanding and efficient yeah. series to win. And, and he's just not that. It's not going to happen. It's not, no, I like Gary, a lot. So yeah. I no, like Mitchell. Moving to 
perhaps the most intriguing first round matchup, Rockets Thunder, and what um, will produce the Lakers' second round opponent, assuming they win. What do you have there? And who do you want to see in terms of who do you think the Lakers would like to see? This was the toughest for me to pick in this, uh, in this first round. And almost out of all the playoffs in the um, first round, even in East, I struggled the most with this. And I convinced myself for a while that the Thunder would win, but I did pick the Rockets um, in the end. Uh, the big question is Russell Westbrook and how I, I have it in six. Uh, I don't know how healthy Russell Westbrook is. He's questionable, I think, at the start of the series. So we don't even know exactly when. He, is he available for game five, six, seven, or is he out? Today, Sham said that, that the Rockets are hopeful to get him back this weekend, which would align with game three on Saturday. I okay. am more skeptical. I think he might be held out of game three. I think it also might be contingent on how the series is going at that time. Right. So, you know, and then if he's back, is he himself? You know, like right. sometimes a player come back, you know, so that, it, it's a problem because this team is really built around James Harden and Westbrook. And the whole idea of where the failings were for the Rockets uh, when they were entirely built around James Harden without another guy who can create is that teams would send literally three guys to, you know, at half court and just try to stop him. And, you know, we, we saw the end. It, it works to a point. But over the course of a series, if you graft Harden's production and efficiency, it, it, get, it descends. Yeah. And I don't think it's like, oh, he's – you know, choking or anything like that is that you're going up against the best defensive minds in the league, all these coaching staffs who have all this time to prepare and scheme up against you. And They're doubling you, in half court. <laughs> right. What are you supposed to do? And you're giving the ball to, Eric, you know, Eric Gordon is your next bet and he hasn't been that healthy. And this team, you know, without, now you put it in Westbrook or, you know, previously Chris Paul and you have someone else who can create something. And it almost worked that year, you know, when Chris got hurt, uh, they didn't have the chemistry the next year, last year, and then this year, you know, who knows? I, I, think, I think there's a real shot for the Rockets to be spectacular this postseason, and I see, think it's really possible for Chris Paul to just destroy them this season. Oh, man. You know I mean, so, like, the range for the Rockets are, like, their upside is as high as it gets, and their downside is as, high as, it, is as low as it gets. So, yeah. uh, but I do have them ultimately winning. I just – I don't love the depth of the uh, – of the rocket of, of the thunder rather i think they're really 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 solid through and through but the rockets don't have a ton of depth either yeah. especially if westbrook is out so that's why it's not a confident pick but i have rockets in six so i got rockets in five um i just don't think the thunder got anybody to stop Harden. i don't think chris paul is going to really phase him even though he'll probably be his biggest threat because he'll want to get under his skin a bit i mean shay's gonna be on him but it's i mean for shay's first big role in the playoffs and so it's going to be have to be by committee uh, I just yeah I don't think I think Harden's going to light him up for sure so, so I was going to go say, we got about a minute left so I want to make <laughs> I want Eric to wrap his, his take up real quick I'll just say the Thunder have three different guys that score 19 or more with Gallinari Schroeder and SGA uh, they have Chris Paul who's at 18 they're very well balanced across the board the Rockets are going to be depleted without Westbrook I keep going back and forth I think it's either team in seven Eric take us home yeah. uh what happens with the Lakers? I'm assuming we're going all the way. Is that where we're, where we're going with it? Uh, who, poises, I, I, who poises the biggest threat for them as well? I mean, the Clippers are obviously the biggest threat. Uh, who sure. out of the Eastern I mean, Conference do they not want to or do they want to see? I mean, the Lakers in some ways want to see the Clippers, but if they got knocked out, that would not be, you know, a negative for them. I think they'd be happy to play anyone else because that's a team that is clearly the toughest matchup. But 
the Lakers posed some questions uh, to the Clippers in that they're going to target Lou Williams entirely. Whenever he's on the floor, they're going to attack him. And if they can't figure out the Clippers how to stop that, then Lou's coming out. And if you take Lou out, that really diminishes what Montrez can do because they're, you know, his game is unlocked by what Lou Williams does. And now it becomes really like uh, Kawhi and Paul George creating on their own. And Kawhi can do that. Question is, can he do it enough? You know, so in a seven-game series, and he might be able to. That's the truth. But I, I'm skeptical. Uh, I don't know if the Clippers have a great matchup for Anthony Davis. They do have good matchups for LeBron, but um, it's going to be a great series. I hope we get to that because I'd love to see it uh, because I think they're the two best teams in the West. So, you know, we'll see. There are all these outliers. All these teams could surprise. But I'm, I'm who's the fringe? Who's the fringe Clippers player that you think the Lakers are most worried about? So we're talking not Kawhi, not Paul George, not even Lou or Trez. Who's that person on the fringe? Well, I mean, you know, they won't admit, but, you know, Patrick Beverly can disrupt. The, 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 we talked about earlier the biggest issue the Lakers have is if you overplay them the entire court, just make it hard for them to get going. And Beverly is like a guy who that's, what he, that's, that's his game. So from that perspective, you know, we could say, oh, who else can score, hit big shots? No, it's Beverly just, you know, can he bother LeBron enough just handling the ball? You don't need to stop LeBron, but if you reduce production by 8%, 6%, 10%, you know, that's enough potentially when you have guys like Kawhi and Paul George who can apply that pressure offensively. You just got to reduce the off offensive efficiency for the Lakers just a little bit. It's not like, oh, hold LeBron to zero points. We're talking about hold him to, you know, a lower percentage and a you know, few fewer assists, you know, or maybe a few bad jump shots. Like, that's it. That could be the difference in a game in a series. Eric Pincus, just want to say thanks a lot for joining us again today. I really wish we didn't have a time crunch and we can get into the cap and how it's going to be affected um, by this bubble and uh, this upcoming season. I want to get you on again down the road to discuss sure. that. Uh, but I hope this Laker ride, ride keeps you busy, and thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Anytime. Appreciate it. I just want to squeeze in that um, I do owe it to, the, to my Rockets listeners that if Russell is healthy, which I think is a huge if at this point, because he's got a soft tissue injury and they're holding him out, so I don't like the, the look of that. But if he is healthy, I think the Rockets I think the Rockets have a lot in store for the Lakers in the second round, and we might get a great series <laughs> if we can get that to happen. So we'll see. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. It would be fun if, if we can get there. There we go. Well, thank, thank you for taking the time, and we appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you.